Good morning, church. Welcome here this morning. It's good to be with you all today in the house of the Lord. Are you glad to be here this morning? I mean, are you really glad? Because let me tell you, church, it is a privilege for us to gather and worship our Lord and Savior and to study His infallible and eternal Word. Amen? This morning, we are going to get a glimpse of heaven as we continue with Revelation chapter 4. And as we get a glimpse of our heavenly home, we are also going to get a glimpse of the one who is seated on the throne, the Lord God Almighty. So hold on tight this morning because we're going to take a journey far beyond this temporary existence of ours to a realm that we will all experience one day as the children of God. Let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for these eternal truths. Father God, we come to you this morning in the glorious and worthy name of Jesus. Lord, as we continue today in the book of Revelation, and as we get a glimpse of heaven, may we be transformed by what we learn so that we can live our earthly lives with a heavenly perspective. Lord, you've promised us that you've gone to prepare a place for us so that where you are, we may be also. With that in mind, and despite what we have to face in this life, remind us that this world is not our final destination. Lord, prepare our hearts today to receive your word with humility and teachability. As we open up our Bibles, let the words we read and the truths we uncover transform us from the inside out. And may we leave this place today with a deeper understanding of your love, your grace, and your eternal plan for our lives. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. Church, please go with me to Revelation chapter 4 in your Bibles. And while you're turning there, for those of you who are joining us for the first time this morning, or perhaps you've only joined us over the past couple of weeks, this series that we've titled Revealing Jesus is a series and a study on the book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and the word revelation means an unveiling or a revealing, hence the title of the series, Revealing Jesus. We are going verse by verse to study this prophetic book of the end times, firstly to reveal the magnificence of who Jesus is and how he brings all things in this world to its final glorious conclusion, and secondly, so that we deeply prepare ourselves as part of the body of Christ with joyful anticipation of his imminent return. As I've said before, any mature believer who responsibly and diligently studies eschatology, it will lead that person straight to Christ. It will enlarge Christ, magnify him, and show him more capable every single time. And that's really what we're aiming to do throughout this series. It is all about Jesus. This morning we find ourselves again in Revelation chapter 4. And for the past two weeks we've been speaking about the rapture. We've been speaking about the rapture of the church where at some point in the future there will be a sudden return of the Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds and we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air prior to the seven-year tribulation period. 
This is the great hope of the church because we will finally see the Lord face to face, having received our glorified bodies, and we will be transported into heaven where the church will be kept safe in the presence of the Lord while severe tribulation is being unleashed upon the world in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, church, what I want us to do today is get a glimpse of heaven. And to begin our discussion this morning, let's start by exploring the account of the Apostle John's experiences as he finds himself in heaven and as the Lord starts to show him things that will take place after the church age. Let's read verses 1 through 11, and then we'll get into the detail. This is what it says. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and we created. One of the most powerful and important portions of scripture in the Bible you know, church, when it comes to heaven, most people really don't live with the thought of heaven at all. I mean, if you take a look at the average life, heaven isn't even on the radar screen except when a person dies. Then suddenly it's all talk about heaven. But in love, who's really thinking about heaven? And if we're really honest, even believers really think about or talk about heaven even though we're going to spend eternity there. What fills our thoughts mostly are thoughts of how do I live now? How do I stay married now? How do I raise my children now? How do I manage my finances now? How do I stay healthy now? 
And all of that is certainly important, but there should be some consideration for the after now for heaven. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And I really like how the Amplified Version puts it. It says, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in His resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things that are above the heavenly things, not on things that are on the earth which have only temporal value. Well, church, that's exactly what I want us to do this morning and next week, is fill our thoughts with the truths of our future in heaven. What does it look like? What will it sound like? What will we see and and whom will we see? What will we experience? You know, if you read different articles about what people think about heaven and what they think heaven is going to be like, you'll have a, a whole host of different answers. But mostly for the unbelieving world, it's usually along the lines of, well, heaven is going to be just as I want it to be. It's going to be this place where everything is set up for me and filled with all the things that I've ever dreamed of. And it doesn't really matter how I live my life now because all roads lead to heaven, right? Well, no. Because heaven is everything that God has created it to be. And there's only one way to heaven, and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, heaven is going to be amazing, and so much more than our finite minds can even begin to comprehend. But it is not what we want it to be. It is everything that God has created it to be. Now, first of all, what we need to clarify this morning is that heaven is a real place. It's not a made-up, airy-fairy metaphor of a certain spiritual condition that we wish or we will into being, it's a real place. When the Bible speaks about heaven, when Jesus spoke about heaven, when Paul, John, Peter all spoke about heaven, they spoke of it as a real place. And just take note of some of the language that we read here in Revelation chapter 4. John says in verse 1, after this I looked And behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now, church, that phrase I looked is used 12 times in the book of Revelation. Another uh, 34 times in Revelation, John writes, I saw. And another 12 times in Revelation, he says, I heard. Which means that his senses are actively and completely engaged. He's a spectator of the things that he looks at, sees, and he hears. All of that to say that heaven is not some false man-made idea. Heaven's a real place. I don't know if you know this, but the word heaven is mentioned 532 times in the Bible. That's in the singular. In the plural, as in heavens, it appears another 171 times. So over 700 times in the Bible, heaven is mentioned which I think shows us that it's an important place that we all need to be aware of. 
It's a massively important topic because as Christians, that's our future home. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, he says, But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, quick question for you as a believer. Why is heaven your home? Because your Father's there. Your Savior's there. The Holy Spirit's there. Everybody in Christ who has died is there. Your reward is there. So it's your home. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? Because as a believer, when a believer dies, what does he gain? He gains heaven. He gains heaven and everyone and everything in it. Amen? Amen. That's the reward. So as I said, the Bible has over 700 references to heaven. And according to these descriptions, when the term heaven is not used symbolically in Scripture, it usually refers to one of three realms. And I want you to stick with me this morning because I'm going to get a little bit technical for a few moments. Sometimes it speaks about heaven within the earth's atmosphere, and that is known as the first heaven. This is the troposphere. It's the breathable layer of atmosphere around the earth. James chapter 5 verse 18, for example, says, And he, Elijah, prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced fruit. That's from the atmosphere, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is the celestial heaven. This use of the term heaven refers to outer space or the stellar heaven and includes the, the moon, the sun, the stars, and all the planets. Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 and 2 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. And Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 says, And take heed, lest you lift up your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the host of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the people under the whole heaven as a heritage." So that's what's known as the second heaven. And some believe this is where spiritual forces are at war. Because in Ephesians chapter 6 it says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, church, we don't know where those heavenly places are, where these spiritual forces are at play, but we do know that there are different realms of heaven. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, plural, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So there's different realms. We have the first and second heaven, 
But then the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, I was caught up into the third heaven, right? Now, church, this is the heaven that John sees in Revelation chapter 4. And where it says in Psalm chapter 33, the Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. You see, this is a completely different realm to what man has ever been able to explore or even try and understand. Let me give you an example. The first Russian astronaut and the first man to ever go into outer space was a man by the name of Yuri Gagarin. When he returned from his mission, he was being interviewed, and it is recorded that he said, I went up into space, I looked all around, but I, I didn't encounter God. Right, he said he didn't encounter God. He was actually, I believe, an atheist, and he even mocked God. Well, the long and short answer to that is that he didn't go far enough. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> he, only went, he only made it past the first heaven into the second heaven. He didn't make it to the third heaven. You know, atheists will make reference to man's expeditions into outer space and how there is no sign of God. Therefore, God cannot be true. And therefore, the universe just miraculously exploded into existence by some big bang, like they can explain that, you know. But guess what? They haven't even come close to or even considered the third heaven where God resides. Let me try and put this into perspective for you. First of all, let me ask you a question. Who saw the moon last night? Anybody? Only a couple of you? Right? It was about 60 to 70% full, right? Now, for those science or astronomy scholars this morning in the house, who knows how far the moon is from the earth? It's a light years. Okay. It is 384,000 kilometers from the earth. Now, get this, church. If there was a bridge to the moon, you could walk to the moon. And it would only take you 30 years to get there if you cover 35.5 kilometers per day. That sounds fairly doable, right? If you could do that every day and there was actually a bridge to get you there and you had enough oxygen to keep you going, you would actually arrive there in 30 years. But if you traveled there at the speed of light, you would make it in 1.3 seconds. That's how quick the speed of light is. I have another question for you. Who knows how far Mars is from the Earth? It is 225 million kilometers from the Earth. If there was a bridge to Mars, you could walk there. And if you had enough oxygen, and if you covered 35.5 kilometers per day, it would only take you, listen to this church, it would only take you 2,548 years to get there. But if you travel there at the speed of light, you would make it in three minutes. I think you get the picture. Walking is not an option, right? <laughs> but even if you were to travel at the speed of light, it would take you 67 minutes to get to Saturn, which is 1.2 billion kilometers away, and it would take you four hours to get to Neptune, which is 4.7 billion kilometers away from the Earth. And if you decided to hop outside of our solar system to the nearest neighbor star, Proxima Centauri, it would take you 4.2 years going at the speed of light. 
it is 4.2 light years away from the earth. And if you were to go through our galaxy, the Milky Way, going at the speed of light, get this church, it would take you 200,000 years to go from one end of our galaxy to the other end of just our galaxy. 200,000 years going at the speed of light. And once you get to the other end of our galaxy, you haven't even made it out of the front yard, so to speak, because scientists now say that there are as many as two trillion more galaxies. And that's why I kind of find it laughable sometimes, because man hasn't even made it to one of our neighboring planets physically. But some still have the audacity to say they understand how the universe came into being. And when we talk about the third heaven, it's probably a bit naive or even silly to, to start measuring how far the, the third heaven could be, because it's in a whole different dimension. But in the very least, when we talk about the third heaven and where God himself resides, it is far beyond what man will ever be able to comprehend or reason or explore in this life. Amen? Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen, somebody. So church, heaven is real. And it's a place that we will experience one day as believers. But what I want you to notice as we start digging into the detail of John's experiences of heaven in Revelation chapter 4 and going into chapter 5, which we will do next week, is that heaven highlights a remarkable person. And that is the greatest thing about heaven. It says in verse 2, At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. Now, what's the first thing to catch John's eye when he gets there? A throne. By the way, the word throne is mentioned in chapter 4 alone 13 times. And when you see that word, don't think of a piece of furniture as much as a symbol of authority for the one who sits on it. Because this is, so to speak, home base for God. This is headquarters. This is where he exercises his sovereignty from, his throne. And church, listen, this may be a bit of an obvious statement, but I'll say it anyway. The main attraction when we get to heaven, right, when we are in heaven, will be God. That is what gets John's attention. He sees the throne, and more specifically, the one who sits on it. So even though you'll be in heaven if you trust Christ, if He's your Savior, it's not just about you being in heaven. It's not just about the people that you will be reunited with in heaven. Or all the spectacular things that you are going to see and experience in heaven, the real big main attraction and central focus of heaven is going to be God. Heaven's ultimate delight will be unbroken fellowship with God. Hear what I'm saying this morning, real intimate fellowship. Listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 21 verse 3. It says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. 
and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Now the word dwell used in that verse is the Greek word skenoo, and it means to formally take up residence or live in a tent. It's like pitching a tent. Those who love camping are probably thinking, wow, you mean I get to go camping with the Lord? Well, church, that may be the case, and I would say so much more. But the idea behind the word is to formally take up residence and enjoy the company and fellowship of the one you're residing with. Now, church, I know that we enjoy a certain level of fellowship with God now. We call that a personal relationship with the Lord, right? And that is a wonderful thing to have. But the truth is we don't see God now. We don't hear him audibly now. I know Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I know that. I know that he said, behold, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. We know that, right? But it's very different now to what it will be when we're in the Lord's presence. Right now, you could say it is somewhat of a a limited experience. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I shall know just as I also am known. Beautiful words, those. You see, right now when you pray, it's something like our Father in heaven, right? But church, when we're in heaven, it'll just be Father and He's right there. Right now we say things like, I hear God speaking to me. I think He spoke to me this morning in my quiet time. But sometimes we're not sure and we think to ourselves, what, was that God's voice or was that my own desire speaking? In heaven, there's not going to be any confusion because you will clearly hear the voice of the Lord. You'll hear, you'll look, you'll see, and it will be face to face. Revelation chapter 22 verses 3 and 4 says, No longer will there be a curse upon anything. For the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him. And they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads. Church, can you start to recognize how different that experience will be to what it is now? While we're still on earth, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we live by faith, not by sight, right? But not so in heaven. Because you live by sight, not by faith. Think about that. In heaven there is full, unbroken, and eternal fellowship with the Lord God Almighty. Just let those thoughts sink in for a few moments. Now real briefly, notice how John then goes on to describe God in verse 3. He says, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper, and carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald this is a really interesting description of god because john says nothing of his form nothing of his features he just describes god in terms of what he knows on earth the gems that are so brilliant and magnificent and it's almost like this beautiful light show 
And when he refers to a jasper, it's not like the modern jasper, which is a bit cloudy and a little red or brown. The ancient jasper was believed to be crystal clear. In Revelation chapter 21, the word jasper is used, and this is what it says. It says, So he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as a crystal. So church, get this picture in your mind. What John is seeing is this brilliant diamond-like appearance of the glory of God. Secondly, John uses the cornelian stone when referring to the appearance of God. Now the cornelian is ruby red, or maybe it would be better to say that it is blood red. Have a look at this image of a cornelian stone. For most theologians, this reference to a cornelian stone infers the redemptive nature of God. The blood that was shed as a sacrifice for us to receive the redemptive power of God. And what a beautiful image that is of God's nature to restore mankind. Amen? Is there a witness in the house this morning to God's redemptive power? Amen? So John makes reference to these precious stones and how they reflect the glory of God and His nature, and then says around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And you know, I guess it's hard for us to really try and envision what this is all really going to look like and, and how God will look. It is hard to envision an infinite God with our finite minds. But who's ever heard of the beatific vision before? Anybody in the house this morning? It's not a word that is used much today, but it's an old theological term that describes direct contact with God. The definition of it is those in heaven beholding God or perceiving God face to face, being able to see and hear Him personally, the beatific vision. Thomas Aquinas said the beatific vision is the ultimate experience of any human being. In fact, Charles Spurgeon himself preached a sermon entitled The Beatific Vision. And here's a short snippet from that sermon. He said, The thing for which I pray above all others would be forever to behold his face, forever to know that I am his, forever to dwell with him. Yes, one short glimpse, one transitory vision of His glory, one brief glance at His exalted and beaming countenance would repay a whole world of trouble. In other words, church, all the bad stuff that you ever experience in this life, at the moment you see God face to face, it won't matter anymore. It's gone in an instant. That's how glorious that encounter, that beatific vision is going to be. So church, I think it is safe to say that heaven will display the magnificence and the glory of God. Amen? And I mean fully display the magnificence and glory of God 100% uncut, unedited, in a way that will take your breath away, in a way that is personal and intimate for us to experience. Now church, there's so much more I want to share with you about heaven and John's experiences there and I'll do that next time. 
But here's what I want to end with. This glorious, brilliant, sovereign, splendid, and magnificent being that John sees, what you need to know this morning is that he's your father. He's your father. Jesus said, in my father's house, that's heaven, are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? He's your father. Yes, he's the glorious, all-consuming one. Yes, he's the Lord God Almighty. Yes, he's God the Father, but he's your father. He's our father. And church, you are going to be living in God's kingdom. You are going to be moving in with him, so to speak. And yes, there's going to be phases of the eternal glory because the Bible tells us about a new heaven and a new earth. And the Lord himself says, behold, I make all things new. Which means, guess what? We are never going to get bored in heaven because this is a continual process. We'll get to that later on in the book of Revelation, but I want you to leave here this morning with comfort in your heart knowing that once we leave this world, we will forever be in the presence of God, in His house, and we will experience unbroken and eternal fellowship with Him. And let me leave you with what John says in Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, this time in the, the New Living Translation. He says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them, and they will be His people. God Himself will be with them. And look at what it says in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. To that I say, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. Can we thank the Lord for those eternal truths this morning? What a mighty God we serve. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity today to study your word, ponder on the wonders of your creation, and prepare our hearts for the eternal fellowship we will have with you. Lord, we recognize that in this world the concerns and distractions of daily life often obscure of your home. We confess that we sometimes lose sight of the eternal and become preoccupied with temporal matters. Yet your word reminds us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated at your right hand. Help us to keep our hearts and minds focused on the promise of eternal fellowship with you. As we have explored the different descriptions of heaven today, we are humbled, Lord, and grateful for the prospect of knowing you intimately, of seeing you face to face, and experiencing the fullness of your glory. May this knowledge inspire us to live lives that are pleasing to you, lives that reflect the love and holiness you embody. Father, we are reminded that you are not only the majestic creator of the universe, but also our Abba Father. 
intimately involved in our lives and desiring a deep relationship with us. As we leave this place today and as we go about our business this week, may we carry this truth in our hearts and share it with those around us. Lord, we thank you for this gathering of believers, for the opportunity to worship, learn, and grow together. Bless each person here with a deeper understanding of your word, a renewed commitment to seek you, and a fervent anticipation of the heavenly glory that awaits us. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Church, I want to say to you this morning, God's purpose in creating us is to get us to heaven. And the way that he gets us there, the only way that we get there isn't by making up heaven what we want it to be or being a good person or making your own way to get there. There's only one way to get there. It has to be God's way. And the provision made for us to get there is for us to just simply believe in his son, to receive his son as the payment of sin and believe that he went to the cross, that he died for us that he was buried and raised on the third day by the Father. Raised as our Savior, raised as our Lord. And if you believe in that, you'll get to heaven. And if you haven't made that decision yet, let today be the day that you do that. If you haven't done that, it doesn't matter if you were raised religiously or as an atheist. If you haven't personally made Christ your Savior, then you make that decision today. If that is you this morning and you feel the Lord has been speaking to you through the service, or you've just sort of yourself decided, I'm going to rebel against God my whole life, you need to know this morning that there is a heaven. There's also a place called hell. But all you have to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and confess with your mouth that the Father raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And you will experience all these things that I've been speaking about today and so much more. If that's you today, I want to ask you to come and stand in the front with me. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer of repentance and salvation. If that's you, come forward this morning. If you feel like you're a little bit uncomfortable or a bit shy to do that, grab your partner next to you. Grab a friend, grab a family member. Tell them to come with you. If that's you this morning, I'm going to give you a few moments to consider that, that thought so that you can make the most important decision of your whole life. Let's take a few moments. Let the Lord speak to you. If that's you.